Hey, welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sam Mall. A couple months ago, we were over in Vegas covering the AWS reInvent conference. We had a great time at this incredibly large conference. If I remember right, it actually spanned over three different casinos in Vegas. We spoke to some awesome people. We got some amazing content, so I really hope you enjoy it. We are with Scott Mullins, AWS Head of Worldwide Financial Services Business Development and also one of the best percussionists I've ever met. We've established that. I might be the only percussionist you've ever met. If you consider <laughs> from me the AWS. best. <laughs> from AWS. You have an incredible tile. So when we say the head of worldwide financial services business development with Amazon and AWS, it truly is worldwide. Because five, six years ago, I came out of the consulting world when you were talking to large-scale banks and other financial services institutions about moving into the cloud, you'd get the stare, right? And we are so far past that now. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you go back a couple of years ago, uh, say 2014, maybe four years ago, uh, people, people, I think, were like, well, that, 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 might be, that might be something that we look into uh, in the yeah. future. Uh, or, yeah, we're experimenting with it. it, it's, it I like to joke with Chris Church. I don't know if you know Chris Church over at Digital Asset. Um, he and I were on the speaking circuit at a lot of the, of, the, of the different conferences around the world. And I would go first as the cloud guy because the cloud was still kind of one of those newer technologies on the conference circuit. And then I would basically have to introduce Chris because blockchain was coming up after. And now I, I don't get primetime speaking slots at conferences <laughs> anymore because cloud is really kind of the new normal. Um, right. If you look across enterprise companies and financial services today, um, the vast majority are considering cloud as a major part of their IT strategy going forward. And it's just, it's just picked up that much momentum. So when you look across the different markets that you're in, um, and if you could kind of, this is going to be a, a tough question, you got to get at least one, right? When you look at the different markets, what's the one thing that stands out to you in each market? So if you look at Asia, for example, and what you're doing with Amazon AWS, what's really striking? over the past year? Well, let's think about this. Well, I think it's, it's, it's speed. I think it's, you know, all of our customers want to be agile. Um, from the standpoint of FinTech startups, they, they know they can be agile because of the tool sets that we offer. Um, they've never had to build any other way. They, they have the ability to immediately start building a brand new company for financial services. There's no legacy there's, issue. There's nothing to worry about. Right. They're not encumbered by anything that came before. Um, our enterprise customers also want that same agility. They want to be able to move their development and production cycles from quarters to weeks or even days. And they're now able to do that. You can look at some of the work that happened early on, I think in Asia specifically. Um, the Asian market was very customer focused first, especially in Australia. You saw that large Australian banks immediately looking in 2012 and 13 even at how do we actually scale our public facing customer interfaces, our websites. And so we saw migrations of that happening very early. So a lot of customer focus early on from, from uh, our customers in Asia, uh, from the enterprise perspective. If you came over to the US, um, no surprise capital markets was an early adopter of the cloud. And it continues to be uh, a driver of, of the adoption of cloud. But now you're seeing large, global, systemically important banks that are making this a major part of their IT strategy going forward. You've got many of them who are embracing, again, that agility. I want to go faster and faster, both from the standpoint of, of how I can faster use these services, but also faster continue to build products and services for my customers. And that's translating into, I'm going to move 30, 40% of my application portfolio to the cloud in the next year to 18 months. So, Agility continues to be the theme. I think where people start from the standpoint of what, they, what, they, what their main problems are that they're working on tends to be different. In Australia, it was, we're not, being, we're not able to scale our customer-facing websites. In the US, it was, I've got so much legacy, I'm not actually in the back and middle office able to develop products as fast as I want because of the dependencies that I have inside. In Europe, it's very similar. Um, you've got 
legacy technology that tends to encumber a lot of our customers there and they're looking for ways to get out from under it. So you've got organizations that are looking for agility. They're looking for it for different reasons uh, and they're trying to solve different business problems, but it's all about being able to be much more nimble and more responsive to the market. And that's a strength that um, AWS brings when you look at that, right? You want the you want to be able to move incredibly fast, but as financial services, you need the security and the trust. And we're, I think we're just scratching the surface, frankly, in cloud for the industry. We think there's, there's, there's going to be room for, for not just one cloud provider, but multiple cloud providers and opportunities for everyone. Um, but I'm very encouraged by how the industry um, continues to make cloud a major portion of their IT strategy. I think we're at an inflection point. You mentioned security. Um, and security is obviously job number one for financial institutions. We are in the business of managing risk. If you're a financial institution, your job is to manage risk. No other, no other thing to say after that, mic drop. Right. Um, and all of our customers who have a bit of heritage about them or a bit of legacy, uh, if you will, um, are used to managing risk in very specific ways. They have a run book that they've used for years and continue to, to adapt over time and evolve. That, that continues to serve them well. And if you're a risk or a compliance or an audit uh, professional in a financial institution, change is usually your, your biggest enemy. You don't want to change anything from what you did the last time you passed an exam or, or went through uh, an audit. You want to continue to do that because you know it works. You have your playbook. Right? You have your playbook. But you suddenly, your business and your development teams are saying, hey, we have all these new tools we can use, which, which necess necessitates a change. And that can be, that can be challenging. And so, we're, we're really focused on right now and going forward into 2019, helping our customers with that change, that organizational change, the evolution of governance frameworks, the evolution of those playbooks from the standpoint of how do you operate with these new tools in this new world. You know what I find amazing? This is my third interview now today when we're talking about that inflection point and that change that hasn't centered just solely on technology. It comes back to process and people and the culture and, and a, a, a technology company like Amazon working with your clients and helping them in that perspective. Yeah, we, talk, we spend a lot of time, I think, as the industry talking about technology and, and what is technology going to be doing uh, in financial institutions and, and, and talking about, from, from our standpoint, um, you know, technology runs financial institutions, but that's not true. People run financial Thank institutions you. and people yeah. make those decisions. I come from the financial services industry, you know that yeah. very well. Um, I started my career as a trader and did that for 10 years uh, and then moved into regulatory compliance and then went into product management and obviously I'm here now uh, at AWS, but it's people that actually run financial institutions and it's going to require those people learning new skills, um, understanding deeply what the new tool sets are and how they can use them to do the things that they've done in the past and then do a whole litany of new things and be able to be able to innovate and innovate quickly. We have always sat on data. You and I have been in the industry for a while, mm -hmm. and we know that. It's not that we didn't have data. The data was there. It was what could we actually, how, how clean was it, for one, that's a whole other well, issue. How useful is it? Yeah, but what can you do with it? How are you improving your customers' lives, right? And, and how are you doing, how is it actionable? Uh, you, you talk about data and making data more valuable. Uh, look at lake formation, mm -hmm. uh, an easy way to build data lakes because it's great to talk about machine learning, but you can't do machine learning unless you've organized your data. We have over 10,000 data lakes on AWS today. I think with lake formation, that number is going to increase um, just dramatically uh, over time. You can look at um, other things that we launched yesterday like uh, Amazon S3 Lock. Uh, that was a quiet announcement. We didn't talk about it on stage, but S3 Lock is a way to do worm storage on S3. We've had Glacier Vault Lock, which allows you to do worm storage on Glacier, and that's our, our cold storage archive, but now you can do the same 
thing on S3. So for data that you need to access frequently uh, and data that you don't want to have to put into cold storage, you now have the ability to do worm storage with a button click on S3. And that's, that's huge for the industry, actually, right? Because that's what we keep talking about is actionable data, but in real time. No more optical discs, no more platters, no more tape. Aww. It's just a button click. sad, actually, right? I know. Uh. Hey, you're, uh, you and I have been in the industry, uh, I think, probably the same amount of time. I remember some times when I was running regulatory um, archiving for a large uh, broker-dealer. Um, there was always that moment when you were going to get legacy data out for a regulator and you were going to you know, package the data up and, and send it to them. And the, the technical team, the DBA, would say, okay, I've got to go, I've got to go down into the server room and I've got to get the optical disc and I've got to load it and then I've got to... I've got to pull the data for you. Uh, and, and inevitably, in, in one of those litany of requests that you got, you'd get a call back from the DBA that said, so I dropped the disk and it broke. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so the letter you're writing yeah. back to the regulator is quite different than the one you had planned to write, which is to say, I don't have the data anymore because right. it's no longer available on that disk. We've come a long way in a short time, which I find amazing. Again, just the, the, everything getting condensed down. So. Let's do that right now. If we look out at reInvent for 2019, and, and we're talking about the changes we've seen over the past years, and if we don't mind, let's focus in on financial services. Sure. What do you think the big stories will be? I think the big stories in 2019 are going to probably be a couple things. The first thing I would say is if you look historically back uh, at the last several reInvents, you've seen more financial institutions coming forward and talking about what they're doing in the cloud. I think the reason for that is because you're getting more muscle memory from these organizations. They've had experimentation, um, they've had some foundations they've been laying over the course of the last couple of years, and now they have confidence. And they have confidence to do right. two things. Number one, to move much more quickly to embrace these tools and to move more workloads over and to build net new things, uh, but also to talk about it. Um, because most financial institutions, they don't want to talk about something until they know it well and they know it works for them and that they've really de-risked it for themselves. And so you saw Goldman Sachs last year, uh, you saw Guardian Life Insurance this year talking about how they've changed a 158-year-old company and how they made it nimble uh, and agile and they've actually been able to close data centers. I think you're going to see more of that. Um, and what that means is you're going to see a much uh, more accelerated transformation of the industry itself. I think you're going to see more and more of those organizations coming out and talking about how cloud is a major part of their IT strategy going forward. The second thing I think you're going to see is a much richer ecosystem of ISVs. You can look across um, what we have today and, and what's been announced this week. You saw Bloomberg come out uh, talking about B-Pipe on AWS, Refinitiv uh, a couple of weeks ago was talking about uh, the fact that Electron runs on AWS. We're working very closely with Broadridge, we're working uh, closely with Finical and Temenos, uh, and a lot of different vendors in the industry, and that's going to continue to happen uh, at a rapid pace. And that reason for that is twofold. Number one, you've got a lot of those customers who are going through massive transformations and they're saying to their ISVs, hey, listen, I love the relationship that we have, but I'm moving to the cloud. If we're going to continue to have a relationship, you've got to move to the cloud with me. And those vendors are, are, are responding very positively. Or you've got some vendors like IHS Market, uh, who several years ago said, you know what, the future of financial services is, is in the cloud. I need to start moving before even my customers are telling me so that I can be ahead of the game. So I think those are two things you're going to see uh, be very, very key themes in 2019. Well, Scott, I think what I find refreshing is, again, when we're talking about a cloud provider and yet someone with the vast experience you have in the industry, that's a leap forward itself, right? I mean, it really is. To be able to understand what your customers are actually facing and, and why they need to uh, approach it the way they do when it comes to the risk side, right? When it comes to do no, you know, don't do any damage. We're talking about the financial lies of our customers. 
and being able to work with them and get them to move that quickly is amazing in itself. It's transformational. Well, it's, it's what we love to do. It's customer obsession. You, you heard it all, all through the keynote yesterday, Andy talking about the fact that it's customers, customers, customers. And it's a really simple formula. Work backwards from what your customers are asking you for. Our customers, uh, five years ago when I joined here, were asking for very specific expertise in financial services. And over the last uh, really four years, what we've done is built that expertise. And so you talked about my job and the fact that it's global, but I get to actually lead a team of financial services experts whose sole function here is to help our customers, both from the standpoint of fintech startups all the way up to the largest banks, broker dealers, exchange companies, insurers, use our tools. That's what we do on a daily basis and we're having a lot of fun doing it. And it's amazing to see these industry experts who come from different places like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and Refinitiv uh, and other places where they've come from the industry doing this and helping this, this evolution happen, the smiles on their face and the joy they get out of doing their job on a daily basis, it's really fun to watch. So we're here with uh, Klaus Molt. How did I do? You did pretty fantastic. Did you like that? So far. I said it really quick. Yes. CIO yes. of FICO, which is actually a pretty cool job title and actually a pretty cool company. Yes. I had to be the first person that said both of those to you. Yeah, well, you know, uh, title uh, doesn't yes. really mean anything, to be very honest. It's, it's really about what you do. Right. Um, so, so I'm responsible for all the infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure, the security, and then our IT. Um, and FICO being a cool company is actually true, right? Most people know us from the FICO score. That's not very cool. Um, that is just about how you get credits. Uh, in the credit decisions, whether you have to take a loan, auto loan, or house loan, or apply for credit cards, 85% of lenders will use FICO score for that. And that's how I knew FICO as well, until I started there two and a half years ago. And what I discovered is that we actually have a significant amount of very, very cool technology behind the scenes. Uh, a lot of very advanced analytics, which is basically what FICO scores was built upon more than 62 years ago. So we have done things like machine learning, things like AI for more than 20 years. And we're taking a lot of that technology and embed it in a series of other solutions that we now provide, uh, both for on-prem customers. We are migrating very heavily into the cloud, starting first with our own data center. And then about two, two and a half years ago, we started migrating a significant amount of our workloads into the public cloud. I so love that uh, you actually went there, that the AI and machine learning, yeah. 20 years ago. It's yeah. not that, it, it is funny how something becomes a very hot topic yeah. all of a sudden, and you're like, come on, we've been doing this for decades. You know, it's, it's about being at the right place at the right time. It's like any technology, right? I've seen technology companies where they're you know, too early. Uh, uh, and you certainly don't want to come late to the game either, right? Right. We, we were lucky that we actually looked and had that technology long before it was termed machine learning and AI. We, we used the technologies, right? Right. Uh, and, uh, and it's fun to see how it's actually being used now in a variety of industries that we sell into. It's not just financials, but it's anything from uh, how you walk through the airport, right? And, and background checks, FICO software that sits behind it, right? How, how Southwest optimized where the cruise needs to be, FICO software that sits behind it. Um, we run a couple of the big uh, telcos in terms of how they provide services, phone uh, to various consumers, FICO software that sits behind it. So a lot of people don't know that about FICO, they just know us from the FICO score. I love and that idea. Cool. And I love the idea of right place at right time. You know, we, yeah. we live at such a tipping point right yeah. now when it comes to digital identity, which yeah. is, is more than people, right? Oh, yes. I mean, it's, you know, we're getting into 
the, oh, the yes. vehicles, the, I mean, you get into yep. IoT and expansion. It's that concept of it. So you talk about a company being at the right place yep. at the right time over a 62-year period. Not bad. Exactly. Exactly. No, very, very lucky. Very lucky to be able to work on the technology and work on what is the future, right? Uh, it's not every day that you get to to join a company and be part of that. So we, even though we're 62 years old, we are really a startup within a very old body. And that's how we operate, that's how we, how we innovate. That's an important creates. mindset, don't oh, you yeah. think? Oh yes, so, uh, you know, it, it is a lot of what you learned from, from growing up in the Bay Area, right? They all had this innovation, startup mentality. And uh, while we still have businesses that's running frankly on mainframe still, right, and, and legacy systems, that is still great business. If you don't innovate, if you don't look at where the, you think the future should take you and start influence that future, um, I don't think you're gonna be around for a long time, right? Um, and, and, and that is, it's, it's the innovator's dilemma, right? It, it's, it's the thing that you have to continue to be, be relevant in the markets. Otherwise, yeah, you could make a good living for a period of time, but if you don't stay relevant, and ideally drive things to, to where they need to go, you just become, you just become irrelevant. And that's not the fun, fun part to be part of, right? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's tough to move when your business model is making you money, when it's yes. highly profitable. I mean, yeah. um, it's, it's FICO, right? Yeah. So we're talking you know, a ton with tied into financial services. Yes. We talk about an industry where the business model has worked yeah. for decades. But the reality is when you're getting back, when we're talking about digital, when we are talking about that volume of data, that the mainframe structure, yes. is, it, it will not take you where you need to be. It's yeah. just reality. Yeah. Well, I think everything is moving faster, right? Uh, and you'll see it, you know, going from just the way that you did credit decisions, right? Where you go in and fill out a form, you yeah. sit with your bank, you know, they take your information, you, you send it to a location. You want to have a decision very fast, uh, and you want to have a decision, you know, while you're sitting there and saying, "What am I entitled to do?" But but there's areas that is even faster. Think about when you go out and swipe a credit card, and you want to make sure that you detect that this is actually a swipe right. that is not fraudulent in any way, shape, or form. That means that when you swipe your credit card, you have to have something in the background that checks that you don't believe that this is a fraudulent transaction. And from internal, we have to do that in sub-milliseconds, right? right. Um, so, and return an answer in, in the transaction. So you basically say, yeah, this is good. And that's all, you know, the machine learning and the AI that, that you put in the background. Um, and that is part of, uh, part of what is our secret source and what we build in, in, in a lot of our products. And you, and you think about, I mean, not only that, right? That the credit decision goes through, but now we're at point of sale credit yep. lending, right? Yes. So literally you need that microsecond response yes. to where, oh, here's the offer, right? Yep. To retain the customer and take them. And that's, it might not even be at the POS. So you're on your phone walking yes. down the street and you're interacting yep. and you have to be able to provide that level of capabilities. It's, it's you know, it's, um, there's a lot of data that goes behind the scene in order to make all of this work, right? We, um, we have, we have a significant amount of consortium data. We, we have had six, 7,000 banks that we've been working with globally where we had transaction data for you know, tens and twenties of years that we build up over time that we can build the advanced algorithms so we understand what normal looks like 
And once you understand what normal looks like, you certainly start understanding what abnormal looks like. Right. And these are the things that you want to understand. You want to understand the outliers. You want to understand that from an algorithmic standpoint, right? And you want to learn about it. And that is the things that applies to so many industries. So it's not only you know, credit card frauds, it is application frauds. Uh, if you want to apply for something, is it the right person? That's about you know, knowing your customer. It's about, are you who you say you are at any given point in time? How do we validate it? And there's many, many techniques you can do, and the more, the more accurate that you can validate this based on different data elements, uh, the better outcome you can actually guarantee. Uh, so, so, th so think about where the next generation is going from a banking industry. Think about, instead of you logging in with a password that hackers may be able to get to, right? Uh, what if uh, we had a scan of your face? What if we recorded the way that you speak, the voice, etc.? What if we did that with the fingerprinting and had actually multiple ways that we could identify who you are? Maybe the phone that you bring with you. We know that it is in close proximity to where you maybe conduct a transaction or apply for a loan. So we can be more accurate in terms of determining uh, is this a positive outcome for whoever the uh, applicant is, whatever it is, or where you sign in, or where you enter a building, or where you go through security, uh, etc. It's it's all something that we can use the data elements to determine the outcome and surely get an understanding of what is not the norm. I really love saying your name, Laurence Terry. Right? I say it right. That's good enough. Good enough. <laughs> We're going to say Laurence from here on out. I love it. <laughs> uh, but um, we, were, we were just talking about this. Um, uh, live in Singapore and you head up financial services for Asia. So just a small job. You know, it's not like it's a massive market with incredible growth. The story of financial services and technology in Asia is it's staggering. When you're on stage and you want to blow people away, you just have to start saying stats for over there. So I'm sure that makes it easy for you when you're talking about the market. You know, it's, it's in, indeed a very exciting, you know, region. Uh, depending on how you define Asia, there are between 20 to 50 countries. Uh, obviously, you know, very diverse as well. Um, you know, if you compare that with the U.S., uh, you know, in terms of population, very different as well. Um, and each country have their own story, their own challenges, their own opportunities. Uh, but what we see, though, is you know, the cloud adoption is pervasive across the region and it's across, you know, fintech to very large enterprise and across all segments, you know, insurance, banking, capital market, payments. It's, so, yes, it's a really exciting, you know, place to be right now. And, and really one to use as a spotlight for financial services, I think, in the U.S., for example. So that willingness or the adoption to, to move into the cloud. And, and the speed at which it allowed them to, to move forward, right? And, and, and actually, in, in a lot of instances, take the lead in leaps that, you know, the mobile adoption, for example, in China has been amazing when it comes to payments and what's happening there. You know, our vision, I think, is pretty clear. It's to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, Andy Jesse's uh, session, and you can feel throughout these sessions, it's all about the customers. Yeah. It's all about what they want. I love the way, you know, we had a number of customers sharing their own experience. But also what I really like was how he talked about the five, you know, sentiments from our builders mm -hmm. and really what they care about. 
And so, you know, frankly, we don't have time to even look at what the competition is doing because all we care about is helping our customers. And so, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other players and frankly, we expected there would be always a number of players. The only thing I think that surprised us is, you know, the head start that they gave us. So we have at least six years head start. Mm -hmm. We've been 12 years into the business. And you know, like Andy loves to say there is no compression algorithm for experience. So, you know, there you go. That is a great tagline. Um, I use Amazon quite a bit as, as examples when it comes to work because it is such a, it is a mammoth company. I mean, that is reality. And yet when it comes to, to, to actual project work and the approach for that, un, unless I'm mistaken, it is this small team approach, right? The power in, in, in the few and being very focused and very directed toward a very specific problem. And actually, I get back to the agenda here, I think it reflects that, right? That micro view of, like you said, 2,000 plus individual sessions that are very, very focused in on specific issues and problems and allowing yes. the customers to share that story. So how does reInvent get better? Oh, wow, how does reInvent get better? I guess, you know, every year we ask ourselves, you know, how can we help our customers, you know, on their journey? And we work, like we, we love to say, we work backward from the customers. So I guess every year we ask ourselves, what else could we do, right? What else could we, uh, you know, showcase to our customers? What are the partners, you know, and the different topics that would be relevant for them? Um, I think in terms of reInvent, there are also some side activities, you know, just to keep everybody, you just know, energized, yeah. <laughs> you know, energized, you know, um, uh, throughout the day right. uh, and at night as well. Uh, so, you know, it, it just gets exciting. Can't wait to see the party, uh, you know, tonight. That's going to be quite exciting as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, again, working back from the customer. I think how it gets better is it's continuing our pace of innovation. Uh, just last year, we announced, you know, over 1,400 new features and, you know, services. You heard about NDJC keynotes and the number of services we announced. Actually, some of them were just astonishing because they were right with what I'm hearing in the region, you know, in terms of needs, uh, you know, that we need to fulfill. Uh, you know, I'm happy to share a couple of examples, but, uh, you know, so we're just going to continue to do what we do best, which is, you know, just being customer obsessed. Well, I, I should also say congratulations on the World Cup. I was, I had picked France at the beginning <laughs> of that. So obviously that was a wonderful event. And thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Next, I spoke to Philip Moyer, his Managing Director of Financial Services with AWS. So, Phil, um, one, what is it you do at Amazon? What's your job title? So, um, my job is um, Director of Financial Services for the Americas, um, and I manage, I have uh, both the sales and, and technical teams that help our largest customers uh, adopt the cloud, largest financial services customers adopt the cloud across banking, capital markets, insurance, and payments. So right before this, we interviewed, and I'm going to get the name wrong, and I apologize, Laurence Terry, who is the head of financial services in Asia. And take this the right way, I think she has an easier job <laughs> than you. Um, when it comes to, I, you know what, I, I'll take that back, I, and I'll ask your opinion of it. The, the move for financial services into the cloud has, has changed yeah. the, the, the willingness to adopt. Yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, I've been here for a little bit, almost two years now. And when I got here, it was really um, why, and it's moved to how. And the, you know, I would tell you that every major financial institution that we work with, and we really, we, we have the, literally the largest, um, like I said, the largest banks, largest capital markets firms, 
Um, what we saw them do, you know, early on was they approached the cloud in the exact same way that they've always approached technology, where they kind of have used kind of their, their standard process to move through things. And what we're working with most of these financial organizations um, now, and they're on their most of them are on their third generation of trying to get into the cloud. Um, it's not like they don't want to go to the cloud. They've been trying, and they'll get a few applications live, but they, they really have not set themselves up to move fast. And so we're seeing organizations now really adopt new organizational models, new process models, um, putting people in place that really understand how that you know infrastructure is code, security is code, um, the, you know how you vend accounts is code, um, how you do operations is code, and. So organizations shifting over to that mindset, we're spending a tremendous amount of time in that organizational transformation to adopt cloud now. So you kind of landed there at the end. I, I hear this over and over again. The technology is one thing, but actually the harder hurdle is the is the culture, is the people, is the organization, is the business yeah, processes. Is. Yeah, yeah. And, and the people, you know, I had, I had one cloud CTO say to me, he said, you know, I've got to literally sit with my team and I have to paint a picture and I have to paint them into the picture. I have to show them where they're going. You know, I had another cloud CTO say to me, what do I do with my DBAs? And when you think about what's going to happen with the cloud, with all the different data types, I mean, most, most DBAs grew up around SQL and relational. Right. And now we've got Neptune and Dynamo, we've got, you know, Kinesis and all these different storage types, you know, and, and NoSQL um, data storage types, Hadoop data storage types. And there's just this fantastic opportunity for people to, to transform over to that next generation of technology. And so it really is about helping individuals understand what their new role is going to look like in that new world and also really taking people that actually operate optimize around builders um, and help them um, guide, you know, basically guide the journey for everybody. In, in financial services, the, the ability to be agile and yeah. to adopt that approach, how, how does Amazon and AWS work with your clients to help them understand that? You know, there was a, I would tell you in the early 2000s, there was a mantra of fail fast. And I think it's a really, really bad statement. You don't fail fast, you fail small. Um, and this Amen. is the problem, is that organizations, what actually stops a lot of financial organizations from being agile, is they think they have to build, you know, day one, the large infrastructure, the entire large um, organization structure to be able to do things at scale. Um, if you look at what Amazon does, um, you know, we have a, this concept of two pizza teams and single-threaded leaders. And we have a really important idea. We put a single person on it, and then we start iterating, and we listen to customers, and we try and get something out that's small. But then we, we, we water that little sapling for a long time. You know, what the cloud, we spend a lot of time with financial institutions saying what you really need to be doing is not failing fast, but failing small or doing small experiments. And the cloud really allows you to do that. So, for example, FRTB is coming up um, in a few, in, in 2021. It's a regulation that helps you really value your, your asset classes across all asset classes. And a lot of organizations, the, the, the number one growth area in financial services today is alternative asset classes for these large capital markets. So these are exotic instruments, and organizations are going to have a really hard time valuing these assets. And so being able to come like with the C5Ns that we just launched um, you know, here at reInvent, you know, and some of the, the, the new P3 uh, D5s that we just launched with 100 gigabyte connections, you're literally able to spin up risk grids and be able to do you know, a whole variety of exotic risk calculations before you have to adhere to that regulation. If you were to do that on-prem, standing up that kind of networking and standing up that kind of compute would really would really cripple you. And so I think that what we're seeing with organizations is that they're really, they're experimenting. We're teaching them that they that you can experiment a lot faster to adhere with, you know, to do new risk models, to go into new asset classes, and even to do things with your customers um, with the cloud because you don't have to have that, that infrastructure. You don't have to do that large capital investment just to, just to experiment. And to micro-pinpoint those use cases too, where in the, the old mainframe world, that was a three, four-year project, right? Which 
You don't want to fail fast on that. You don't want to. um, That's failing large and fast. That's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And and there's those that have, right? And that's an awful um, experience. Um, Yeah, I I find that um, for for me and and as an end user, because we have products that that run on AWS ourselves at 11FS, um, you know, back uh, a few years ago, if I would have sat in with some of our um, FI clients, and talked about you know what we wanted to build and that we wanted to do in a cloud and we wanted to do it in AWS, we probably would have been out of that room in two minutes, right? Yep. When you talk about the risk factor side of it now. And for us, it's being able to go in, like you said, you're actually de-risking the project and you're allowing yourself to iterate that much quicker. But I still think that's a, in a highly regulated environment like financial services, which is a very broad term, right? Yep. And when we say, we're just not talking banking, you know, like you talked about, the different asset classes, insurance, this makes it a very broad space that are all regulated a bit differently. My, my understanding with Amazon, though, and, and especially on the AWS side, you're probably one of the most highly, I don't know if regulated is the right word, you have more eyes on you from some of the largest organizations in the world. I think that's a safe comment. Yeah, yeah. I've never met a regulator that says I'm anti-innovation. Thank you for saying that, by the way. I think that was an excuse. It's sometimes internally, I don't know an excuse, but a way to get out of having to address something. Yeah, and I think it's they, what they want to know is that you're, 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 you're approaching innovation with the same level of, I'll say, kind of um, seriousness that, you, that you're approaching your business and that you're, you, know, you, have, you have responsibility to be a fiduciary you know, for your clients. And I think that most regulators just want to see that you're actually approaching it that way. And there's, in the cloud, it really allows you to innovate quickly in a compliant and secure way with sandboxes that are compliant and, and parked the, the proper way. So, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time with organizations, really, both the regulators as well as the organizations, um, explaining how to do innovation in a compliant environment. Yeah, it's not tech for tech's sake, right? It's what, what am I actually addressing? What problem am I solving for the end customer? How am I making my customer's life better? How, the, how are we making their financial health better? How are we achieving their investing goals? You know, how are we achieving you know, their, their, uh, what they want to do from a, you know, from a day-to-day basis to be able to, to kind of live and be able to move money and, and spend, the, spend the way they want to? Um, and then also be able to, you know, longer term, be able to plan for retirement and so forth. So, yeah. We... So in 2019, when I'm standing here or we're sitting at a couch, maybe we'll sit next time, and I'm talking to you. What, we, what, what are you looking forward to for the next year? What's some of the big initiatives you have? I think um, we're going to get through, you'll see um, this time next year, some very, very large financial institutions will have moved at scale. Wow, uh, really? You will see some really stunning um, movement, I think, in, um, in organizations. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing organizations, uh, you know, large-scale financial organizations already running PII data on top of us. Um, you know, we're seeing organizations move out of the why and into the how. I think you'll see the cost equation continue to, to improve, um, you know, with over 67 price increases, you know, our slope continues to go down rapidly. Um, but most exciting, what I would tell you probably is some of the things that we've done from a machine learning perspective. You know, the trans tech stuff that we announced this week, some of the things we've done around SageMaker. You know, as we talked about, you know, probably the, the biggest advancements that are coming in machine learning, you know, are really around this idea of serving your customer better or, or being able to evaluate these exotic asset classes a lot better than we could in the, in the past. And machine learning, things like SageMaker and what we announced um, this week, really help you do that in a way where you can show to regulators, you know, why did we underwrite this insurance policy this way? 
why did we deny credit to this person, but we we extended credit to this person with our machine learning algorithms? You know, a lot of the things that we we continue to do with SageMaker is make it easier to to shuttle in large amounts of data, and then also to be able to trace what you've done. In the financial industry, those are that's literally what needs to be done for around machine learning is make sure you're you're curating the data and getting it in the right way, and then make sure you have traceability for all the things that you do. And so you're going to see some really extraordinary, I think, things come out of uh, machine learning and um, even new underwriting models, new insurance models. Um, I, there's some exciting things that I think you'll see over the course of the next 12 months. So in other words, financial services and working with Amazon AWS is really going to move at scale and fast. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Phil, thank you very much. Thank it was you. fun. So Jonathan Allen, um, AWS enterprise strategist and my favorite job title ever, evangelist. Let's go there first. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, ultimately, I work in a small team of ex-CIOs uh, and CTOs who have led transformations as enterprise leaders. So I've built up quite a, a wealth of knowledge going through that journey personally. And then now I work with enterprises all around the world. I've, I've privileged to work with over 172 of them over the last 20 months and really gone deep with their leadership teams on what is challenging their transformations to be more effective? Uh, whether, and, and typically, obviously, that's linked straight back to what is their business goals? Whether it's going fast, reducing money, delivering a differential customer experience, how can, how can they do that? And actually, a lot of the questions I get start actually with Amazon. You know, a lot of the questions start with how is Amazon almost able to effortlessly innovate? And of course, it is not effortless. Yeah, I was going to say, do you laugh when they ask that I question? I can't just say it's not effortless. There's, <laughs> exactly. a lot, there's a lot of mechanisms. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes in and starting with our working backwards process. So, you know, I share that portion of the journey and then I also share my own experience and then share that collected knowledge of working with all those enterprises as they transform themselves, as they look to move massive amounts of undifferentiated heavy lifting to really pivot to focus on what truly differentiates their business with their customers. So in this role as an evangelist, the ability to, I always think of being an evangelist as someone who, again, talks about real life experiences, yep. but able to, to knit that story together, say art of the storytelling, um, and, and, but at, at the level that it needs to be. So you talked about senior leadership that you're working with and understanding those challenges that they're facing. Um, that, that's actually a pretty tough role. It, it's a fascinating role. I mean, one of the things I, I learned when I was you know, running big teams, running big systems, I was always looking to learn lessons from other leaders who were going through precisely what I'm going, you know, I'm going through. Because, you know, it, it's a tough role. You, you're, you're on call 24-7. These systems are mission critical. You've got a big team. You've got a lot of partners. You're driving transformation. You're running the engine. It, there's a lot going on. You know, you're, you're always juggling 85 balls at any one time. So to be able to go in there with empathy and go, yeah, I know what it's like. I've been there. I know that when people typically talk to you about, hey, here's what you should be doing, you actually only have about 5% of your overall time to focus on that because 95% of what you're dealing with is yesterday's decisions or actually yesteryear's decisions because you're dealing with the decisions that were made a long time ago and you're still living with. You know, you're remediating them, you're delivering service on that. So, you know, to go in there and have that conversation and I always try to work back from what is front of mind for you right now? 
and typically I get like a tsunami <laughs> of, of things. And then I go, well, well let's, let's focus on what is the next most powerful three actions you can take as a leadership team. And, and typically, the, you know, I get three areas of interest, right? One is, always comes, we want to go faster. We want to deliver uh, differentiating service to our customers. We want to improve our time to market. And of course, alongside that, an immediate following, but we've got to do it securely. We've got to do it in an available way. And by the way, if we can reduce our costs at the same time, that'd be awesome. And, and these are the four things that, that we get. And you know, you just work backwards from what is the business's goal always. Because in transformation, this is an organizational challenge with an embedded technology challenge. So you're actually walking into these engagements more as a therapist initially. Right. And then move into the, all right, now to get jointly, how do we solve this? Yeah, and I just bring in lessons learned. You know, right. the, the, the enterprise strategy team, that's not what we're there for. We're just there to share what we've seen work and what we haven't seen work as well. Can we circle back on what you just said? So you're a value add to your client base totally. that Amazon is yep. providing. Absolutely. So, you know, the team combined over the last two years has visited well over a thousand different enterprises and worked with those leadership teams just to come in and almost, you know, just spend an hour, two hours, sometimes a whole day, just working with the leadership team and going backwards and seeing and sharing what we've seen work, both in Amazon, in Amazon Web Services, from our own personal experiences, and that collective knowledge around the globe. You know, that's a, that is something that I think deserves a, a bit more attention, actually. Um, you know, the fact that you're, you're, you're working so hard, because this is, this is incredibly tough, what, what you're doing and going the, into The conversations do. are very direct. Well, and they are, and, and, I mean, because it's very stressful also, right? I mean, these folks are under a tremendous amount of pressure, yep. not only to keep the lights on, but to modernize at the same time. Absolutely. It's using the analogy of retrofitting the plane whilst in flight. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's what you're doing. So, and it can't even come down to land sometimes, right? Exactly, right? You know, how do we refuel in the air and, and keep this? And change the wheels and maybe, you know, change the wings yeah. and keep this thing flying. It nothing, is, nothing tremendously important. You know, right? the, the systems that banks are running and financial, they're 24-7. You know, you expect to get to your mobile app at any time of the day, in any time location. You expect you know, your payroll to be there. You expect your credit card to work. And yet we have platforms that obviously require batch, right? Not, oh, we're talking legacy, yeah. right? And, and again, we live in a hyper-connected world where it is 24 right. by seven, which is the power that Amazon AWS provide, right? Absolutely. Which requires that migration, which requires those really hard conversations. Absolutely. So you also write, because yes. I was passed a great Medium blog by you, where you quoted Bruce Lee. So I already like you, because you recorded Bruce Lee. Uh, but, but the quote that you had was, if you spend too much time thinking about a thing, you'll never get it done. One, amen. But what did you mean by that, specific to this industry? Yeah, well, you know, from my own personal experience, it was really easy to spend a long time thinking about something before you did it. And, and you, you know, it could be called procrastination sometimes, right? I'm going to procrastinate about it. But actually, time and time again, what I learned was, when you start something, even if you just do it for seven days, then do a retrospective on those seven days. You'll have learned more just for doing it for seven days than you could have done spending seven months planning it. And the other thing that we share, and a lot of one of the Amazon mechanisms I talk about with people around this regard is, look, we spend a lot of time thinking about decisions. And I know, particularly in the financial world, a lot of the decisions are what we would call in Amazon a one-way door, which is you go through it, you can't turn around to come back. But actually, when you think about it, 
a lot of them are two-way doors where you can go through and go, I don't like this, I'm going to turn around. Especially when you're looking at how do I get value out of data? I'm going to try something. This experimentation, a lot of quants looking at how they can use the data. Well, really, that's a two-way door. You can go through that and then walk back. So why are you spending so long thinking about it? Yeah, and not taking this step, And not right? thinking about it. One of the transformational things I see um, talking to a lot of banks around the world is when their chief marketing officers or the chief risk officers want to do experiments with data. And they want to get to these new tools that are available, like SageMaker, like the new P3 instance, which you can try and buy one of those things. It's exceptionally hard to do, or you can rent it for a few dollars an hour and try your experiment, run it for two days, go, it didn't work. Or when it does and you find that diamond to be able to instantly turn it into production, that is a capability that we've not really had before. That's fascinating. So, you know, in, in reference to the Bruce Lee quote, get going, right? Think about it. Just don't think about it, just start. All right, so we were with John Heverin, the CIO and Global Risk Solutions from Liberty Mutual. I, I think people, um, I know for myself, when I was taking a look at Liberty Mutual, it's a hundred plus year old company. Yeah, I think something like 106 years old, yeah. I think, at this point. Isn't that amazing that we're talking about digital, we're talking about risk at, at AWS, we're talking about a 100-plus-year-old company. I know, 100-plus-year-old company, and we are, uh, we are super excited and proud of like, what we've been doing with AWS. We've been at it for three years, good solid three years. Four years ago, we started really kind of getting our hands dirty, but three years ago, we, we kind of decided we were going to go all in, and uh, I, it's been a lot of fun. And the teams love it because it's just it's just a whole new paradigm. You can move quicker, um, and we what we have found is the pace at which you know I come. This is my third time out here. The pace at which Amazon and AWS is moving is is both frightening and inspiring at the same time. I mean, it's just I don't know how they keep it up, but you know I I hope they do forever and ever because it's it's really really good. You know, and, and insurance is a fascinating space because you talk about. You know, we can talk about banking and the mountain of data that they sit on, yeah. but insurance, right? I mean, just the volume of data that, that you have, right? And, and have to make actionable yeah, right? think and about accessible. It. It's a business where you don't know what the cost of goods sold is until like maybe a decade later after you sold the product. So it's all dependent upon data and your ability to really, you know, manage it. And then, you know, deliver, you know, a great customer experience and oftentimes some of the worst times of people in companies' exactly. lives, right? You know, they're, 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 they're dealing with some kind of, of emergency or accident or something, you know, broke down or failed and, you know, we're there to help them. Yeah, you're literally a life event yeah. company. You know, one that it's always there but you don't think about until it's actually right. needed. So that, you know, when you're working in the risk space. Right, exactly. That's, that's a, yeah, your, your touch point with your customers has to be exceptional every time. Oh yeah, and and it really is. Uh, it is about that customer experience and making that customer experience really, really good um, in a time of high stress or you know on the front end and and in in my space in the large commercial space where companies are coming to us and looking for solutions to help manage their risk and help manage you know exposures that they have. And that ability to do that in a really seamless way is critical. And AWS has really been helpful for us. Like on the consumer side, we've been using Connect and Lex and Poly to 
help with rental car uh, process, and it's been it's been really cool. And we're using some of the SageMaker and machine learning stuff on on the kind of risk uh, selection side, which has been really good. So you mentioned earlier you're about three years into this digital transformation yeah. of a, like you said, hundred plus year old company, um, and and it is pretty funny because you jumped right into the positive when you're yeah, doing that. So yeah. one, good job. Yeah. But that's also, this is hard. This isn't an easy thing to do, especially for a company of this scale and size. What are some of the challenges you faced? And then when you're working with Amazon and AWS, how has that helped you? Yeah, it is hard because there's, there's a lot of momentum, right? right. We, have, we have a lot of legacy systems and capabilities that, that work. Um, but it's, what's hard is kind of unwinding some of that stuff and making it easier and faster to make changes. Because that's the other thing, insurance has a reputation sometimes, I think, for being slow and methodical and stodgy. And you know, really, in our industry, it's super, super competitive. And so you know, your ability to move quickly and nimbly is, is critical. And that's where AWS has really helped. You know, we used to, when we were setting up an environment, you know, get a server provision, it used to take weeks, sometimes even months, if it was a complex environment. And now we can do it in, in a day. And, that makes a big difference, not just in terms of the sheer time, but then the, the stress that that takes off of the development team. Right. It's like, I'm not waiting on that, I'm not getting pounded on that, I can just start building um, software for my customer. Now, a common theme that comes up every time you talk about anything along the lines of digital transformation or, or a shift into cloud services, is not the technology side, but the business side, the culture yeah. and the business transformation. How has that been? You know, it's been good. It's it's um, it's it's funny. You start to see as we've been working with our business partners, and you know, for us, the AWS and this whole journey, it's it's more than just AWS. It's we have a big agile transformation that's going on, moving to DevOps and and um, you know, real time deploys. And you know, some, you talk about some of these things, and sometimes your business customer are like, ah, you know, I don't know, why does this matter? But what's really, really cool about it is when they start, we start teaming and start creating these small, agile two pizza teams, and they see the pace, and that like every two weeks they're seeing how the software is changing, they find religion right away. And, and that's something that's counterintuitive, and it's something that Amazon and their culture really embrace. I like that you mentioned the two pizza because I do love that story, yeah. right? If, if the size of your team exceeds two pizza orders, it's too big. Right. And it is amazing at an enterprise level that is so true. The small teams and what they're able to achieve in such a short time, again, counterintuitive, yeah. but it works. Yeah, the, the key to it is, do you, have you kind of defined what the problem is or what the outcome that you're trying to, to achieve well enough that you feel comfortable letting that team go and being autonomous? And that's, that's where we focus a lot of our energy is, is doing that, making sure we've got good definition so you can just let them go. Because when that team, when that two pizza team has true autonomy and has the tools and capabilities that we get from Amazon and, and other of our partners, sky's the limit. Yeah, we had done an interview earlier with Scott Mullins uh, from Amazon AWS, and he, he has a phrase he loves, actionable outcomes, which I yeah, love that. Uh, yeah, that's good. And, but that is, it works, does it not? Yeah. When, you, when you go in and actually define what it is that you're trying to achieve, it gets everybody pointed, you know what true north is. That's right. It makes it easier to get there. So, yeah, and when you focus on the outcomes, you're focused on that result, right. and not the, well, I want this screen, or I want this thing. You're like, 
No, what do I want to be able to do? Right, not the product. Right. And, and, and starting with the solution, it's what is it I'm trying to get to? Yeah. And, that's, exactly. that's, and that, again, it's business cultural mind shift yeah, that you exactly. have to be able to go through. Next up, I spoke to Gerhard Frolich, group product owner, and Vladimir Simonovich, deputy group CTO at Raiffeisen Bank. Vladimir and Gerhard, right? The concept with Raiffeisen Bank is the whole cooperative approach. Can you explain that a little bit? It goes back to Mr. Raiffeisen. He was a German fella, and um, he founded the idea of cooperative rural banks. So the principle is that each farmer can have a share of the bank, and if the bank is profitable, uh, you get some money back. And also it's kind of financing a community, like financing a, um, a village, financing a smaller community to buy crops, to buy machinery, whatever you want. Yeah? And actually the independent banks um, uh, in the past and also still today, those banks are operating really in small cities independently. And um, sometimes they're grouped together into some bigger groups. Yeah? And, uh, but still from a principle, it's a fe pure federal principle actually. Yeah? And also from a governance perspective, it's bottom up. Yeah, so always the, the, the lowest shareholder has has a lot to say actually in, in those banks. Yeah, so it's compared to other enterprises where there's a big pyramid. You know, we have to, a guy on the top here yeah, talking to everybody. It's actually vice versa. It's flipped around. Yeah? But what I like so much about that concept, though, is again you are talking that that a sense of community, yeah. right? And it's fascinating what digital and technology can bring, right? Because I don't think we consider that enough, what, what lift that does for the individual members or, or yeah, customers true. that you have, right? I mean, do you have like some specific examples of where you focus from the digital standpoint with that? Um, yeah, I mean, for, from RBI perspective, it's a little bit different now, yeah? So we are uh, a bank, uh, a holding actually, yeah, uh, which operates out of Vienna. We have uh, 13 daughter banks in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, it's about 47,000 employees, 60 million customers, yeah? Wow. And, like, um, nice scale. Yeah, and all those banks were built up during the 80s, 90s, mostly by acquisitions, I guess. Yeah, and some of them were built up Greenfield, uh, Greenfield or acquisitions. Yeah, yeah even um, better. But also from the principle, they operate very independently. Yeah, so they are all, let's say, self-standing banks. They have their own um, market. They have their own way how to operate in this market. There's a little bit of a CI and stuff like that, but uh, from a governance point of view, it's really loosely coupled. Yeah. Um, and what we did now in RBI um, is that we started um, a, a digital tribe, actually, in, in, the, in the headquarter with, with the mission to bring out digital products from our Vienna base yeah, into the countries and somehow to kickstart the digital transformation. Yeah? Because in Eastern Europe, every country is picking up in a different pace. And what we feel is that we cannot uh, kind of wait until everybody picks it up. So we want to incubate a little bit uh, from, from, from Vienna. Still, of course, we have to uh, get the buy-in of those local banks to follow us, you know, to join our products, and there we have to do a lot, actually. Yeah. But you called it a digital tribe, right? Yeah, digital tribe, yeah. But Gerhard now mentioned what you mentioned previously, the community. I think that this is a very important principle that yeah. within the digital tribe they are building as we are doing in the technology area. As our idea is that what the, the technology innovations and the, the strategy that we have in the company is brought by the community, for the community. And this is a kind of a very important, let's say, motto that we use in our daily work as well. And so that not everything's driven out of Vienna, 
No, one of my States. favorite cities, by the way. There's a great time to be there. Yeah. But but not everything's been me and driven from there, so the solutions are just unique to Vienna. It has to work for I mean, we everyone. We have a very huge community. Yeah. In 13 countries with uh, the experts, you know, like that can contribute equally, like Vienna. And we should be stupid not to use this kind of a brain power that we have actually like within this community, like for for the benefit for the whole group. And this is coming back to the origins of the of the Rifis and exactly the point that all together we can drive this forward in a much better, I'd say, in the more successful way. Well, we've we've seen in a lot of the communication and and uh, content that we've been seeing from RBI this actual phrase embracing the digital revolution of the financial world. It's a nice phrase, but what does that actually mean for you? Um, so what we are doing and very successfully um, is we started several programs. Um, it's an own group of people, um, innovation people actually in, in, in Vienna, who start working really closely together with fintechs. Yeah? So there are this concept of innovation lab, elevator lab, and all those stuff, where actually we invite fintechs um, to pitch with us, um, to work on use cases, and the ultimate goal is actually to work with one or two of them. Yeah? So in my product, we are cooperating, for example, with Pisano, Mokstra. These are kind of you know, small fintechs, but really cool ones. And actually, that's one way to embrace them, actually, yeah? so to learn from them, to copy them a little bit, honestly, because we are really an old school bank, so we have to copy from the fintechs how they work um, and integrate them into our value chain. Yeah? And um, also, we from our digital tribe, we want to work with them um, to also integrate their solutions into our products. What's the fintech scene like in Vienna and, and in the other communities? That you're, I mean, Berlin has an interesting fintech scene, right? I think that important point for the RBI is that we do not focus only on Vienna. Yes, we keep coming back to yeah. that. Very important. We are trying to use the, the broader market that we are right. present. We, we call this Central and Eastern Europe as a core market. And we try to bring the, the brain power of fintechs and similar companies from this area, let's say, to support us in, in our work. Yeah. You know, one of the things I find interesting about, so like the U.S., for example, right? A very mature market, very saturated market, which also means we have a lot of legacy technology that we're tied to, which also means that we fall behind in a lot of cases. Like, for example, the adoption of mobile wallets. Right, is not taken off here. The fact that when you keep swiping your credit card, yeah. you sign and then you look at the person like, are you really gonna check my <laughs> signature? Yeah. So that, you know, tied to that legacy tech, is that actually somewhat of an advantage for you in, in your markets yes. that you can there's, leapfrog? That's a big one. Because the Eastern, that's good, because I didn't know where that question was gonna go. Yeah, so that, that's uh, good. <laughs> but it's my belief and Vladimir will share his belief, yeah. Um, I think the Especially in Eastern Europe, you know, countries like Czech Republic, Soviet Republic, and when the Iron Curtain fall, there was nothing. And actually, they built up a lot of stuff from scratch. And that's why they have not so much legacy. Yeah? And that's why I believe those innovative payment products, this contactless payment, in all Eastern Europe, it works. Yeah? You can pay with Apple Pay, you can pay with uh, Google Pay. They have their own contactless payment solutions, for example, in Serbia, um, I saw one. Yeah? Really good, and I think they have really kind of you know no legacy. Right. They have a legacy they cannot use anymore. Uh, yeah. And 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 I think they started from zero, but have a very good starting position actually. Yeah. Because where I come from, I come from Germany. Same same situation like in the US. We are still swiping a lot the cards. We are underwriting, and there's no contact. And there's not even in every shop a POS terminal. Yeah. Right. So that's why I think 
Yeah, maybe that's really an advantage in, the, in, in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So uh, what's interesting, I mean, we're at you know, Amazon, uh, AWS, the reInvent conference. So I'm looking at U.S. banks um, in particular. We, we have seen a shift where more and more are moving into cloud services, right? But you have a bank like RBI with a relationship with Amazon yes. right, and with AWS. Um, so what, what distinct advantages do you see for you or what, what, what works best in that partnership and that relationship for you guys? I mean, basically we started a couple of years ago actually with trying to understand how the market is developing yep. and seeing on the other hand side uh, the business and the customer's demands coming, focusing on the digital services where the, let's say, the, the, the cloud native, so to say. So this was a kind of a push for us and a, let's say a kind of a clear signal that we need to do something, you know. Basically, the value, how we define it, is in the fact that we do not need to invest hundreds or thousands or millions into an infrastructure that may sit somewhere and be used like 10, 20, 50%. But rather we provision when we need to the extent that we need. And then we switch it off and we are able to do it in a, let's say, fraction of time, minutes or hours max. Yeah, that economy of scale is something economy else. Economy of isn't scale, it? of course, yeah. And this is the beauty actually and the important driver in this whole story. Yeah. Hi Megan. Hi. How are you? Hey. Hello Martin. Hello. Martin Dow. Alright, I'm gonna see if I get this right. Head of back office engineering. That's about I, right. <laughs> I've never used that job title before. And Megan Kaywood, Chief Platform Officer. It's much easier. Yeah. Both, for, yeah, <laughs> both from Starling Bank. Give us kind of the overview. What is it you're doing? Yeah, so in a nutshell, Starling is a smartphone-based bank. We've started up just a few years ago in the UK. They've made it possible that um, new tech companies can get a full banking license and can compete on equal footing with the banks. And so we started up and we're like, we're going to build a bank from scratch. We're going to do it differently from competitors by doing the full back-end tech as well as the front-end, building that full set of open APIs and locks up with that current product, um, and getting the full banking license as well. So being able to do things like plug directly into payment schemes. So um, we launched just in May of 2017 with our retail offering, so the personal current account. Then we expanded to the business current account, and now we're starting to expand through Europe and then doing a credit card and some other things as well. Um, so yeah, really just trying to change the game of banking. And it's incredibly simple to get a banking license, as we all know. Right? <laughs> yeah, they've tried to make it easier with reducing the capital requirements to get the banking license, but we still raised 70 million in our first round of funding, which as you can imagine, is just tricky because you know it's pre-launch, pre-revenue, pre-customers that you have to raise that much money. So I think um, it's really a testament to Ann Bowden, our founder, who was able to help us secure that really on our journey to pave the foundation we needed to launch a bank. And, and Martin, when did you come on? How long have you been with the company? Uh, pretty near the beginning. Uh, almost coming up for three years now. So little room in Mayfair in middle of London, probably a dozen of us, about a handful of engineers. So what was that conversation like when you sat down with Anne and she goes, I want to build a bank? After you left. <laughs> for, well, for me, it was uh, I, I, um, my colleague Dan and I, we, uh, we met uh, the now CIO John. Obviously, being in London, it was a pub in the city in, in the rain um, and yeah that's where he proposed it to me and said well I've got this thing I'm working on and it's uh, we're building a bank and I think it might actually lead to something and I thought building a bank I mean yeah. I mean a lot of us have been working uh, in big banks for, for quite a few years and we'd seen it and you think astronomical budgets thousands tens of thousands of people and you think what you can do this with like a dozen of you in a room in Mayfair it just seemed amazing so yeah it was exciting yeah, let's drill back down. Yeah, let's drill back down to that comment though. Building a bank, full stack. So we really are talking about building a bank, and and 
you know, within the U.S., right, we had what we would call the neobanks, right? So what Shamar and team did was simple, right? We had what, what Brett did with, with Movin and others, which were built, but they were sitting on top of a bank. That's, again, not the situation. You're talking full stack. Yeah, full stack. And we had considered um, plugging in some other suppliers for things like the GL on the back end. Like, um, we'd considered someone called Mambu, but we ultimately looked at our product and came to the conclusion that we're a single product company. Um, our needs were quite simple relative to some of the other banks who had that full horizontal feature set of retail banking products. So we decided we really wanted to actually own that in-house. We saw the back end tech is actually quite a differentiator in the space. So we just decided to just kind of go all in and invest in doing the full back end as well as the front end and kind of just taking it from there. Yeah, the UK right now is fascinating as an example of what can be done yeah. in this space. Um, and it's becoming more and more of a crowded space, right? So we have Starling, Monzo, um, you've got Tide and Coconut moving into the small banking space. Um, Metal, nice plug there for 11FS, but others, right, that are coming out. And now we're seeing this start to happen um, in Asia. And I mean, wh when you look at the state of challenger banks, and that's a term I'm gonna use, one, how do you find a challenger bank? Yeah, so there's lots of different challenger banks. So we would be a full stack bank, um, but there's other challengers such as Tide and Coconut but they don't actually have the full banking license. They're not necessarily building the backend tech, um, but they'll innovate on the user experience. They'll try to make it really easy to open a an account and have a better view of your spending. Our thought is there's two weaknesses with that. Whenever you're dependent on someone else's infrastructure, all of a sudden, if you have this amazing new algorithm for detecting fraud, you have to depend on them, which can take months or years to build, rather than the weeks that you could do if you just do that in-house. But also, there's a certain cost basis, right? So you reduce the cost basis whenever you have you know, a cloud-based mobile-only bank and you own that internally and you're not relying on someone else. So you can move at pace and you can do things much differently. But also, whenever you're a fully licensed bank and you can build a bank from scratch, you can do things like plugging into the payment schemes. So what that means, for example, for our SME offering is whenever someone makes payments, it's fast, it happens instantly. On someone who's a prepaid card, you actually still have that delayed reaction. So you don't have that kind of same insight and real-time element that's only possible if you're willing to do the back-end tech. So there's lots of challenger banks, some focusing on the retail side, some doing mortgages, some just doing prepaid with a nice user experience. Others like ClearBank doing the infrastructure banking. But for us, we found our sweet spot was really full stack bank, retail, and SME. So Martin, here's what I'm really curious about. We, we've, we've been in this space for a while, right? You always have this conflict, I'm saying this politely. There's, there's this tension between the business and product and technology, right? So in other words, <laughs> saying this nicely, coming up with an idea, right? And plowing forward with it, maybe even moving into sales without actually involving technology. How do you overcome that at, at Starling? I don't, I'm you side. You side I just side. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I actually, I, I do genuinely think, I mean, it's the first place I've worked where that agility is really like the whole organization working together. It's a great statement. And, um, and we really are working together as real cross-functional teams. And so, I mean, we, you know, when we launched Lending, you've got literally the head of Lending sitting next to an Android engineer, iOS engineer, platform. And it's not this sort of the, the product designers come up with something and then they chuck it down the line and it's all approved and signed off. And then eventually the engineers get their hands on it and go, actually, that's not going to work. It really is collaborative. And we, make, we put a lot of effort into saying, that's great, but how are we going to iterate this? How are we going to do this step by step by step? And we have this release process where we're pushing things through into production, really with, with a regular heartbeat multiple times a day. And so it means we're always focusing on getting stuff built, getting stuff into production. 
we demo stuff to each other, we see it running. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, engineers have quite a lot of responsibility, um, but are also part of that conversation of, of deciding what gets built. As part of that, one thing I love about the Starline culture is, one, there's no IT departments, all cross-functional, as Martin's saying, but we also have a culture of not doing any internal presentations. We don't create strategy documents. We have a hard focus on just executing and doing that as quickly and as well as we can to constantly be getting something into customers' hands, releasing multiple times a day. On the one hand, it mitigates your risk because as you release frequently, if there's anything that's buggy, you can easily roll it back, so there's advantages there. But to be cross-functional and agile and quick, um, kind of taking those layers of bureaucracy out and just working together really well to produce things quickly has been quite an advantage for us, I'd say. You know, I haven't, I haven't actually brought the culture word up. And the two of you now have, I, I, I counted, I think we're up to five times, mentioned that word culture. And what I find interesting throughout the interviews I've done over the past two days, especially with the team from Amazon and the AWS folks, that keeps coming up. Not the technology side, the, the culture, the business processes, the how do you interact day in and day out. That's a massive part of what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and in a highly regulated company like a bank, it can be very easy to all of a sudden put in lots of processes um, and lots of paperwork and steps of approval. And so I think early on, we had a really good focus on saying, let's not do that. And let's structure ourselves to have a culture and literally processes that match that culture to enable us to continue to move quickly. Um, and that's been quite, quite important for us, I think. And I'd probably go a little bit, for the, the, there's another element to incident response. When things go wrong, it's, you know, we have an on-call rotor with the engineers. We get, uh, when things go wrong, the entire group gets together and figures out how to, how to get through it and how to, how to, how to solve the, figure out the, the problem, solve the problem. So, so obviously, I know you're, you're already thinking about this, but it's, it's amazing the growth you've seen, right? When, when, did, when was Starling founded? 20... 2014, technically. Right. So technically four years, it's really three. So, but over that very short period of time, the growth has been tremendous. So when you're scaling that quick, how do you keep that? Yeah. How do you, how do you keep the magic sauce? Yeah. Um, I do remember back in like 2016, our CEO, John, saying, you know, he's like, I can't wait until we have scale problems. That's going to be such a good day. Yeah, yeah. And now hey, when we have scale, scale problems, problems. we like to remind him of that. And he's like, oh, man, <laughs> I take it back. I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's something that we're looking for because like, you know, everyone's tech today will be the legacy of tomorrow. And the thing that differentiates that is having that culture and enabling your processes to say as tech evolves and markets evolve and customers' needs evolve, how do you continue to respond quickly to that? Because it's not just coming to market with the latest and greatest, but it's maintaining that pace. Um, so it's something that we've tried to, to continue to build even as we've grown the team. Now we're at like, gosh, 200 people? Is that roughly no, correct? More, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're looking at opening an office outside of London. And we're thinking, you know, even when we have a smaller office somewhere outside, we want it to be a microcosm of the London office. So we want to still have product and dev and compliance and finance and customer support all in one office because it's partially this mix of how we operate and collaborate together. That's kind of the magic of it. So I'd say it's something that we're continually focusing on as we grow step by step. Next, I caught up with Rob Krugman. He's a chief digital officer with Broadridge. Well, I, I, another thing I really appreciated, I was looking at the company Broadbridge that yep. you work at, and there's a great statement that you have out there. So the company is like founded 1962, if I remember right. Sure. It's been around in the space for quite a while. It is, and we were part of, so we were part of ADP for a while, mm -hmm. and then we were spun off about 11 years ago. Well, you have a, a great yeah. statement in there that I, I really love and I'd like you to expand on. Sure. Where it says, we work with our clients to capitalize what's next. Sure. I love that. that. That fits on a t-shirt too. 
It does. Really well, by the way. <laughs> and it's been, you know, I, I think as we've thought about how do we position ourselves, we went through a process called uh, Broadridge 3.0, which was really uh, the evolution. Where do we want to go? And uh, we, ne- we kind of skipped the 2.0. We went right to 3.0. <laughs> That's the best way to do it, though. And the chief digital officer, I'm, of course, talking about 4.0 already. Um, but, you know, as, as part of that process, as you think through it, I think the, the kind of the what's next approach is interesting. Is it, we, you know, we've kind of converted ourselves to thinking ourselves as a global fintech. And the idea that, you know, one of the benefits you have with working with a larger company, right? There's startups, there's startups all around here. We talk to them all the time. But I think, you know, if you could take a company that has inroads with thousands of organizations on a global basis and allow us to innovate and to do things differently than we've done them before, that's how we drive the industry to a new place. And it's pretty exciting, right? Because it's not just resting on our laurels. It's basically saying, if we're going to continue to be successful, we have to disrupt ourselves. And that disruption is going to happen in a lot of different ways. And we can start to drive people to the right place and help them get there. And that's, that's exciting. It's an exciting thing about being part of the Broadridge team. So, so let's, let's kick in a little yeah. bit about um, Broadridge, right? And I think that's great because sure. the, the, the footprint that you have and the influence you can have in, in this, this enormous and gigantic and exponential shift to digital yep. and the concept of open platforms... You are in a, an incredible position to be an influencer with your client base. How do, how do you do that at Broadbridge? You know, I think it starts with thought leadership. And what's interesting is you go back four or five years, because the cloud is, no doubt, is a primary driver for what's happening right now. I think people have seen, starting at the infrastructure level from a company like AWS, starting at the software level from Salesforce, you kind of start to see the pieces going together. And I think five, six years ago, there was interest, there was concern, is it secure, can I do this? That's all gone, right? Like we, we look at some of our clients have hundreds of people here and all in as far as moving their service, moving to really a microservices-based model and approach. I think there are still clients that are not quite there yet. And so I think it starts with thought leadership of painting the picture of what tomorrow can be. How do you then get from where you are today to tomorrow? Can we provide services that enable you to actually take that leap with us, you know, so you don't have to do it all by yourself? Um, I think there is a, frankly, I think there's a bit of a talent gap. I think, and that's, that's what I find to be one of the more interesting things in the financial services industry. I, I graduated college in 1992. In 1992, and I was a technologist. If you were a technologist, you wanted to go work on Wall Street because that's where all the exciting stuff was happening. I think in 2018, if you graduate with a computer science degree, you want to come work for AWS and you want to work for Facebook and you want to work for Google. And I think that the financial services industry has to pull that back a little bit and say, hey, wait a second, we're doing some really interesting things here. We're disrupting our business models. It's going to change because it has to change, right? The amount of inefficiency still in the system. If you look at the amount of bank processing and investment processing that still happens on cobalt-based black buttons running batch. <laughs> yeah. I think it's shocking to a lot of people. I think, you know, you, you meet with fintechs and they talk about, well, why can't we do this real time? Well, because the system that this stuff runs on are many years old. And they're batch-based because that's what the cutting edge was when that was actually created. And I think as we start to see and start to have companies make these services available, it doesn't only satisfy the appetite for the fintechs, but the fintechs are going to be the ones that are going to drive the established companies to change, right? And it happens every few years. If you think about the late 90s where you had E-Trade pop up and then that changed the entire market. And I think more recently we're starting to see, you know, these 
40 or 50, some people call them robo-advisors, some people call them, you know, they're fintechs. They're blowing up the model and they're changing the way you think about it. Um, and it's really exciting. Yeah, I've, I've made the comment a couple times, um, being a COBOL programmer is being like a monk in the Middle Ages when you knew Latin yep. and no one else knew it. Um, I believe in the UK they don't even teach COBOL at any university at this point. I can't, I, yeah. It's a dying, it is. Uh, well, you got the COBOL cowboys, right? You have yeah. good folks that have retired in their 60s and 70s who are making incredible money yeah. because they have a, the equivalent of Latin, a dying language. It, it's absolutely. But that an entire industry runs on. But you, and what's interesting, though, you're starting to see this, again, this other group of companies that are starting to come in and help solve that problem. Yeah. Like there's, um, they were just out of the corner of my eye, I saw them, is uh, Salesforce over there. So MuleSoft, who they recently yeah. bought, really interesting organization, right? You can take this capability, you can put it on top of these legacy applications, start to expose them almost immediately as services, even though the back end may be legacy, and then slowly go through that transformation of figuring out what you're going to replace. That's been the biggest challenge. I think the reason that those legacy applications sit there is not because people don't want to make changes. It's because they're terrified of making those changes. And now that there's services that can sit and help you through that process, I think we're going to see a, a pretty quickly, we're going to start to see major changes in the way people think about that. It's the equivalent of retrofitting a plane while it's in flight full of passengers. That's, exa- that's really well said. And everything that's scary about that, when you think about an airplane, and you think about applying that to the financial services markets on a global basis, and it terrifies people. Yeah. And, and it, but in... in Reality, it should because you're talking about individuals' lives, yes. right? I mean, your customers, your 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 members, that's their financial life. If you mess up, yeah. so it has to be handled with that care, but it has to be handled. You can't ignore that shift. It, it, that's really well said, and I think that you know you want to try to move as much risk as you possibly can. You want to be comfortable with that when you do this. And there's ways of doing that, right? You're not going to flip the switch and all of a sudden everything's going to change. It's going to be a process that you go through where you start to move the easier stuff and then you start to move the more complicated stuff. But I think what you end up with then is you end up with this. And this is like, if you look at the end game, right? Get from here to there can be complicated. But when you get to that end game and you now have all these services, the flexibility that enables organizations to provide is just, it's awesome. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please don't be afraid to subscribe and tell your friends. You already subscribed? Well, then why not leave us a five-star review? You already left us a five-star review? Then you're our favorite person ever. Thanks to the folks at AWS for hosting us, and thanks to all of our interviewees. This episode was produced and written by Patrick Barisha, footballer extraordinaire, recorded and edited by the legendary Michael Bailey, and edited by my favorite personal Alex Woodhouse that I know, Alex Woodhouse. Thanks for listening.